This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. If you have your Bibles, let's get into the preaching of God's Word. Open to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one in front of you that's yours to use this morning. If you don't have a Bible that you enjoy reading at home, you're welcome to just take that one home that's a gift to you from our church. And so what we're going to do this morning is eventually we're going to work our way all the way through this chapter. But before we do that, let's just start at the beginning which is good, that's a natural place for us to start, and then let's juxtapose that with the end, because we're going to see, when we look at the beginning and then look at the end, how serious, we're going to pro- provide a, a frame for how serious our topic is this morning and the height to which God wants to speak to us. And so if you're in Proverbs chapter 8, just look at verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? So here's at least one thing that I know about everybody in here this morning. You want to make good decisions with your life. You want to live wisely. Now that doesn't mean that you always do the right thing or that you always make the best decision, but no one says my goal is stupidity. I'm just looking to mess it up. And so when we hear that wisdom calls, our ears perk up. We get excited to know that it is possible to hear wisdom and to know wisdom. But now look at the end of chapter 8. Between verse 1 and verse 36, it tells us all about hearing wisdom where it comes from, what it sounds like, how we follow it. But verses 35 and 36 might be the most important verses in this chapter because they tell us what we're dealing with. Either that wisdom will bring us life, or if you look at the verse 35 and 36, what are the consequences of ignoring it? What happens when we block it out? What happens when we put our fingers in our ears and say, la, 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 I can't hear you? For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. There it is. Listening to wisdom brings life. Ignoring it leads to death. So the stakes are huge. But that means, because the stakes are huge, the payoff can be great. And what these in-between verses of Proverbs 8 tell us is that if we will listen to wisdom, it will open to us a joyous, rich, I would even say complete life, unlike anything that you would ever be able to dream up or imagine for yourself on your own. So Proverbs 8 actually lays out is God's offer to us through Jesus Christ for the fullness of life. And we're going to see it does this by telling us four things that wisdom is and wisdom brings. 
First, there's a wisdom to richness. Sorry, there's a richness to wisdom. It offers something truly valuable. Second, wisdom has power. It offers something worth chasing. Third, Proverbs 8 tells us about wisdom's place in the ordered world. If we're going to know it, we must see it as preeminent, which is a way of saying that that it's so important it has to come before everything else because it will outlast everything else. And finally, the fourth thing, read this in the last couple of verses, wisdom is necessary. Whether you listen to wisdom or refuse to hear her call will be the defining decision of your life. So wisdom's richness Wisdom's power, wisdom's preeminence, and lastly, wisdom's necessity. Before we move through those four, how are we supposed to hear it at all? So let's just begin at verse 1. We're going to read every verse in this in a few sections. We're going to move through. I'm going to try to keep us moving, so buckle up. Here we go. Verse 1, just one more time. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So just stop there very briefly. Uh, If you've been studying Proverbs with us for the past few weeks, hopefully you're noticing, if you were here last week, that we were in Proverbs 5. For now, we've skipped 6 and 7. We've went right into chapter 8. We'll come back to chapter 6 next week. Uh, But this works out really well for us because chapters 5 and 7 are very similar. They're both about seductive women enticing men into sexual sin. And at the beginning of Proverbs 5, It says that there is an adulterous woman who speaks, and her words sound sweet and smooth. But as soon as you taste of them, they turn bitter and they cut. Listen to Proverbs 7, very similar. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. This is how Proverbs 7 describes the enticing seductress. So about 20 years ago, I was uh, stranded in Amsterdam on the way to Greece. And after uh, a once-in-a-decade snowstorm, all the planes in and out of Athens were grounded And so we were in Amsterdam with like 48 hours and nothing to do. And so we arranged for a tour of the city. And as we were driving between stops, we passed through this infamous part of of the city. It's a place where things like drugs and, and prostitution are legal. Right there in the windows, right there on the corners, women were calling out making themselves available. There are only two things that I could think of. First, 
what just wicked and tragic things have happened to these poor women that, that have ended them up here? And second, get me out of here. Get me out of here now. And I, I don't say things like this a lot, but that place felt very dark and very cold. Just, I could feel it. So both chapters 5 and 7 says the same thing. Listening to those calls, following those women only leads to death. Following that path will only lead to your destruction. There's nothing of joy, peace, or hope there. There's only annihilation. And that's why chapter 8 begins the way it does. It's coming out of chapter 7 where loud women are calling out, looking to lead men to death. And by the way, women can be led to, to death too. And it's saying there's another call. And because chapter 7 has warned us about the adulterous woman, that's the picture we're given there, chapter 8 personifies wisdom as a woman, and she too has a call. And this is big for us. A a lot of times, the picture is that that it's wrong. It's it's the, the hard things. It's the sinful things. It's the unwise things that make a lot of noise and get all the attention. But here we're told that wisdom calls too. Christ calls as well. And he doesn't just whisper. He raises his voice. And he doesn't just raise it here. There's even even better news. If, If you asked a lot of people, where do you hear and where do you find the wisdom of God, they will tell you in church. That's not wrong. It's true. But here we're told that that the wisdom that God is crying out, begging people to listen to, is not just limited to here. It's not just read now. Where are the heights by the way? Where are the crossroads? Where are the gates in front of town? They're out there. They're around the city. They're around town. God doesn't just call people in here. He's constantly calling to people out there. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to other people. He's calling out to us all. It's such good news because it means wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can hear from God there. Wherever you are, you can hear from God there. I mean that physically, wherever. I mean that metaphorically. Whatever space, whatever you're going through, it means you're never alone. So when you're confused, God can speak to you. When you're in trouble or you're facing temptation or when you are in regret and despair because you have given in to temptation, he is there and he is calling to you. And his call is constantly to invite you to come to him. These verses even end with saying fools can come. And so if you say, well, he might call to other people, but I've messed it up. He's not calling to me anymore. If you feel like a fool, he's even saying, I'm calling you too. Do you know what happens When you listen, when you call back to God, 
He answers. He answers. And I know that because time after time in his word, it says that when people call to God, he will answer them. And what does he say? He doesn't say, what? Like an exacerbated father who's just tired of being bothered. He doesn't say, what is it now? What would you possibly need? He says, what good can I do for you? That's what he says. How can I bless you? I just think of someplace like Psalm 86.5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Now we have to know what kind of a call this is. What does it mean? How do we call upon the Lord and receive steadfast love and good and forgiveness? Another place, it says that God will not be mocked. That means if we're going to only call out to him and expect the answer we want, if we're only going to be calling out to him when we really need him, but, but in the rest of our lives we're going to kind of functionally ignore him, it's mocking to call him. But if we call out to God saying, God, I want you and I need you all the time, if we do that from a, a, a place that's real, a place of humility, sincerity, calling out to him and to Jesus as Lord, he will not, never turn a deaf ear to you. He will call back with wisdom. So now, what does wisdom say? Four things. Number one, wisdom has a richness. It calls out with a rich wisdom. It offers us something truly valuable. Verse 6. There's two commands in here. The first one's right away in verse 6. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. God's wisdom is rich because it's more valuable than anything else you'll ever be able to gain in the whole world. So two commands here. Second one is take my instruction and knowledge instead of silver and gold. That's verse 10. Verse 11 says that wisdom is better than jewels. You can spend your life amassing a fortune. But the second you die, it's worthless to you. It's the wisdom of God that lasts forever. The first command is verse 6. Hear, for I will speak noble things. Do you know that when you truly hear and live under the wisdom of God, that actually makes you royalty? nobility. It's true. When you know God and when you follow him as king, you become his son or daughter. You're a son or a daughter of the king. The New Testament tells us 
that we join in the inheritance of Jesus. And everything that God promised him, he gives us. So most people are scared to come to God because they believe he'll be disappointed with them. They think he's going to be harsh and heavy. And if you think that too, I need to just talk to you for a minute. You couldn't be more wrong. If you have been holding out on coming to him because you think what you will receive from him is harshness, you couldn't have it more backwards. When God speaks to you, he doesn't speak harshly. He speaks to your nobility. He speaks noble things to you. He doesn't degrade you or chastise you. He blesses you. Do you know the Bible says that God actually praises you? The good news of Jesus is that God doesn't just tolerate sinners like you and me, like kind of begrudgingly saving us because a long time ago, he, he kind of made a mistake saying he would, and now he kind of has to follow through on that. In the gospel, God tells you of your unimaginable worth, that you're so valuable to him that he would trade the life of his son for yours. It doesn't mean that God doesn't tell us hard things or things that we don't like to hear. That has to happen. Because you and I are in need of constant, constant need of forgiveness for sin and discipleship to grow up into Jesus and transformation because we are not yet ready for life forever with God. But God will always tell us the things we need to hear in a way that is good for us. And we remember that He's given us His Son while we were yet sinners. That he's promised that that for those who are in Christ, they'll never be separated from him. When we can believe that, we're in the exact right position to hear what he needs to tell us through wisdom, even when it might be difficult to hear. There's a huge difference between being corrected by a good, loving friend and, and being the target of somebody who just wants to criticize you. Have you had these two experiences? Where somebody who loves you and you know is for you has come and, and said, I, we need to speak about something because I care about you. And somebody who just wants to get you. That one makes you feel about one inch tall. The other might make you feel a bit taller. Uh, as a pastor, don't feel sorry for me. I love my job. I get criticized a lot, though. Uh, if you want some stories, we can talk stories afterward. Uh, one time, uh, somebody delivered a list of 18 things they didn't like about me to one of our elders. 18! I mean, I don't know how many is too many, but like, if you hit double digits, it's, that's too many. On the other hand, I've had some loving brothers tell me things that were hard for me to hear. But at the same time, they were, they were just so good. I, I remember one time that sticks out in particular. About 15 years ago, uh, a mentor asked if we could take a walk together. So we went out, and he, he said, here's what I want to He did this so well. This is, this, is a, this is a master class in how to tell somebody something in gentleness and love. He said, I want to tell you about something that I think might be a little bit of a blind spot for you. 
But before I do that, I want to tell you how God's using you. And I think the reason that I I, want to work on this blind spot with you is because if you can kind of rein this part of you in, God will be able to use you even more. And then he said, and I even know I'm, I'm taking a risk in our friendship to tell you this. But I'm telling you this because I believe in you. I believe that you want to know things about yourself that will make you more effective in the kingdom of God. He kind of laid this out. And so it was a hard walk. Then he kind of laid some stuff out. But he did it in a way. I didn't feel one inch. I, I felt one inch taller. And I could use every inch I got. I'm not a tall guy. Do you see the difference? That's how God speaks. And that's how you know it's from God. Satan will tell you lies, and they will make you feel bad and gross. God will tell you truth, and it might be hard, but he will tell you in such a way that you feel like grace has been given to you, like it's been for your good. He speaks noble things to you because you're worth it to him. There's a richness to that. Second, Wisdom has power. It offers us something worth chasing. Tell us why we should listen to the wisdom of God in these next verses. So, starting in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil are and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign... And rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles who govern all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield is better than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So I say that this is all about the true power of wisdom because this section doesn't shy away from two things. First, it tells us what we are like when we get a little pretend power and how dangerous that is. And second, it doesn't shy away from God being absolutely clear about what the real dynamics of power in the world are. So power in the world is built by grabbing hold of what little you can, being cunning, and never letting go of the power that you have. That's how you build power in the world. Nations and corporations can pay lip service to to doing justice and being for things like equity But that always comes after profits, and it will always take a backseat to acquisitions. Here God is saying, those things aren't real power. That's not what real power looks like. Actually, the, the irony is that when most people get a little power in the world, it doesn't embolden them or enable them. It actually consumes them. People with a little bit of power worry more about losing their power than they do to use what little power they have for good. Same thing about money. 
It's not wrong to be, it's not wrong to be wealthy. But be very careful about how you look at your money. If you see it as a gift from God to enjoy, to be a blessing to other people, you will do well with it. But on the other hand, if you see it as something, and it begins to, for you to be something that you must hoard, and your deepest fear is losing it, it will, again, consume you. Uh, remember Gollum and the Hobbit in The Lord of the Rings. He was consumed by the ring. When he had it, he couldn't enjoy it. All he was worried about was losing it. When he lost it, he gave up his life. He gave over his life trying to get it back. So what these verses do is they tell us the value of knowing real power and what power is. They start by just saying, don't be prideful and arrogant. God despises those things because that's everything that he's not. He can't bless it because it doesn't honor him. So this implies it, but, but a few other places in the Bible make this really clear. Don't be too hungry for, for worldly power or, or to set up a man-made kingdom. God rules over everything in this world. This is where this starts out. And the implication of that is don't be focused. Don't be too focused on the things of this world because God is reigning over them. So be focused on him. Be focused on God. He's the one that's worthy of worship. He's the one worth chasing after. It's him who deserves honor. Give your allegiance first to him. Because in him is true power and authority and glory. The next section tells us a little bit more of the why, so let's just move into that. So this is wisdom's preeminence. It offers something that lasts forever. Verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I set up. I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, but the mountains had been shaped. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. So remember, this is wisdom personified. And in offering us the, the chance to know wisdom, God is inviting us into something that has been here long before us. And this is something that will be the song of heaven forever. And if that doesn't make you both a, a little bit nervous and get you pretty excited, I don't think you're hearing it well. So remember... This is, a wiz this is a woman personified as wisdom. And now the woman is saying, 
she was brought forth from the mind of God before anything else was created. And we need to hear that because it's concrete proof that wisdom is something so much bigger than us. And therefore, it has to be something that exists outside of us. Wisdom is external to us. We don't control it. We don't get to manage it. We can't manipulate it. The right thing for us to do is humble ourselves under it and submit to it. This is the root of what gets everyone in trouble who doesn't know God. They think they know better than him, and they think they don't need him. If you know Genesis 1, and this just brings us back to Genesis 1 to 3, which is where all good theology starts. The root of every lie in the world that every man or woman will at some point in their life believe is that they know more than God. And they have no need of him. That's what the man and the woman in the garden believed. And it's what every woman and man has needed to be saved out from since then. And in this chapter, we celebrate the way that God does this. We're saved when we listen to God proclaim wisdom that you are not your own God. I am to be your God. That's what he proclaims. And he's been proclaiming it since before you were born, or any of us, or since the foundation of the earth was made. And here's the thing. This is how liberating this news is. Knowing that wisdom is external to me and over me, it actually frees me up to enjoy my life and celebrate God in a way that if I thought that I needed to be in control would bind me. I can just know it's not up to me to know every wise thing. God's the author of wisdom. And he'll give me that I can trust what I need of wisdom. If I don't have it, if I don't know something, I can just believe that God intends for me not to know it and says I don't need it right now. There have been, in my life, two or three major decisions that that, that have gone like this. I have an idea, get an idea in my mind, and I begin praying about it, thinking about it. And then, I, and then I seek counsel about it. And I ask other Christians to pray with me about it. And then we all, I ask them and, and we agree together that they think that God is leading me in this way or my family in this way, in this direction. And I've gone through that process in, in a couple of big decisions in those ways. Good processes, godly processes, biblical, wise processes. But here's the thing. Those decisions haven't always turned out great. And in the two or three specifically that I'm thinking of, if I didn't believe that I was following a wisdom external to me, something greater than myself, I would live with a whole lot of regret believing that I screwed it up. That I blew it. Wondering if if I'd failed. Instead, I can be at peace and I can rest and I can just continue in the worship of God knowing that I did what he asked me to. 
knowing that I prayed about it, knowing that other Christians counseled me in it, and we agreed together, and so I can humble myself under that, and I can trust him that what happened, even though difficult, was right and good. That's what peace under the sovereignty of God looks like. And do you see the difference? One way, I am just bound, wondering if I'm going to blow up my own life. The other way, I trust the wisdom writer. I trust the wisdom proclaimer to know more than me and to trust that he has my good in his mind. And I can just sit down, humble myself and rest in that. And nobody shows us that more clearly than Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What that means is long ago, this chapter is talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit agreed together that the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross was the best way to redeem fallen people. So when he lived in this life, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father took on the sin of his people, bore the wrath of God, and in doing that, he made everybody who trusts in him holy with him. And if the wisdom of God can do something like that, if it can defeat death itself and give everlasting life to people who deserve destruction, surely it can ordain and lead my little life. If God can conceive in his mind and proclaim before all time the cross whatever my small life is surely he's got that honestly who who am I to even think well I I think I'd come up with a better way than that I think I'd plan better than that no his way is better let's end with this wisdom's necessity whether or not you listen to wisdom is the defining decision of your life So these last verses, I'm calling wisdom's necessity. And if if you're kind of tracking with the outline, I put three statements in a row that are very similar, and then this one is very different, and that's on purpose. So here's what we've said so far. Wisdom has a richness. It offers something truly valuable. Wisdom has power. It offers something worth chasing. Wisdom is preeminent. It offers something that lasts. See the repetition? It offers, it offers, it offers. And now I'm saying that wisdom is necessary, but I'm not saying the second part like before. I'm saying the second part like this. Whether or not you listen to this wisdom will be the defining decision of your life. And I'm saying it so differently that way because I want to make sure you hear it. I don't want to hide it in a list. This is life and death. This isn't just something at the end. This isn't a nice point to kind of tuck into the sermon. This is your life or this will be your death. Verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures injures himself. All who hate me love death. 
You might say, I don't want death. Well, the one who knows everything is telling you that functionally that's what you're doing. If you're not following the wisdom of the Lord. So here's the simple truth. Either you're going to hear the wisdom of God. You're going to grab onto Jesus. And you're going to be found at the end of your life in him. And you're going to face God. And, you're going to, and he's going to say, what have you to say? And you're going to say, I am holding on to Jesus so tight, I'm with him. I plead the blood of Christ. Or you're going to stand there on your own and say, Because that's what fools sound like. They babble. Wise people say, I'm with Christ. There's no other way to live. 1 John 5.12 should be a life verse. It should be a memory verse. It couldn't say it any more clear than this. 1 John 5.12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's it. If you have Christ, you have life. If you, have, if you don't, you've got nothing. God accepts fools. God accepts those who have been proud. God accepts those, Ecclesiastes said, who have chased wind, but now hold on to Christ. That's the wisdom that he proclaims. So hear wisdom, church, and live. Live now, live fully and abundantly, and live forever and ever and ever. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, be to us a voice of wisdom unignorable. May we be a people together and raptured by the call of Christ and its beauty. May we be men and women who have forsaken all other things and hold only to Christ. May we be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but clinging to him in his cross and following him in his resurrection. What a gift, what a grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.